scripture reading today is on page 976, uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Uh, but first, let us pray. <coughs> Dear Lord, <coughs> excuse me. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to come together, be together as a congregation, and study your word. Um, please open our, our ears and our hearts for the message today. Something that we can take back and apply to our everyday lives to better serve you. Amen. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in uh, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption and sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, uh, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, unite all things in him, in heaven, and the things on earth. Word of God for the people of God. When I was working on my um, degree in church history in Scotland, I was part of a Latin reading group that had people from all sorts of different disciplines. So in other words, these aren't all church history folks here. And I'm, I'm waiting outside the building a few minutes beforehand, and there's someone else, and I'm not sure what his discipline was. It might have been art or literature or something. And we start talking for a while about what we're studying. and. And at that point, I was um, in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and so I talked about my church affiliation, and I tried to explain it to him, and essentially said, well, it was, you know, Presbyterian with Armenian theology, and he was um, really interested in that, and so we, we talked, and he wanted to know more about this history of this denomination, this Armenian denomination that got started uh, in Kentucky in um, um, the early 1800s as part of the revivals, and and at one point, he asked me, um, so is the service in Armenian? And at that point, I realized, while I had been meaning Armenian with an I, which is a theological position that church holds, he was thinking Armenian with an E of the um, West Asian nationality. And uh, I, I just wanted to picture um, this kind of Eastern Orthodox revival in the 1800s in the middle of Kentucky uh, farmland. <laughs> So anyway, when we realized we were all, had spent a lot of time discussing something that made no sense whatsoever, we just kind of stood there awkwardly for a few minutes waiting for the rest of the group to get there. <laughs> so I, I have to say that um, I probably ne never felt like I fit in more uh, with Brits than standing around feeling awkward. So anyway, um, I say that because... I'm a, I don't want us to go too far in Ephesians assuming we understand the meaning of something. So as we have been going rather slowly through this first chapter, we're going to slow down even more to look at 
two words, in Christ. And say, what does he mean in Christ? Because that's something that occurs so often here. Have you noticed how he's redeemed us in Christ? We are um, chosen in Christ, that in him we have obtained an inheritance. And it just goes on and on. In fact, um, that phrase, in him, in Christ, or in Jesus, um, occurs at least 160 some odd times in the New Testament. And it's one of those things that we might kind of say, oh, I think I know what that means, or kind of assume we know what it means, or might even pass over it thinking we'll focus on what comes because of that. But I want us to pause and just look at what does it mean to be in Christ? If that's what we are as Christians, that we are in him, uh, we need to just look at what it means because it is so foundational to our understanding of Ephesians and actually all of Scripture. Um, to be in Christ is union with Christ, that we have union with him. We are united by faith in Christ. And there's a, a few different ways this takes place. First off, it's all made possible by Christ uniting himself with us. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's what's called the doctrine of the incarnation, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, that he took upon himself a human nature so that we truly have union with him as a man, as a person, because he united himself as God with humanity, we can relate to him in that humanity. You know, I, I, even, you know, we, we, we relate with one another. We relate as people, not just bodies. He didn't just take a body, but he had a human soul, a human mind, a human reason. So that, that same kind of communion you can have with other people, that is unique. You know, we, we can relate to one another as people in ways that you just can't relate to you know, a, a hedgehog or a goldfish or an angel or God. God. God became flesh to become part of us so, or as us. Well, one of the early church fathers um, said, the word of God, Jesus Christ, out of his boundless love became what we are that he might make us what he is. So that, that's what's going on is he's united himself in flesh, human soul, so that we now can have union with him. And broadly speaking, there, there are kind of big, two big categories this takes place. The first is uh, what we would call a covenant. A covenant is kind of a, an agreement, a contract, a, um, a legal binding agreement that we've come to. And the understanding of the Bible is that we have this um, legal union with Christ. Uh, the, the, the idea would be sort of like the way someone might have power of attorney. They have complete legal representation of you um, or whatever is assigned to them um, that, that they can do and legally represent you. Um, and so they sign a document it, as, as if you yourself had signed a document. Or we also can see this in, you know, national treaties. Uh, we don't all sign a document, but 
the one who represents us, who is kind of the head of our government, enters into a treaty with another nation, and we're under that treaty. We didn't do it ourselves, but a legal representative did that. And the understanding of the Bible is that by nature, by just being born as a descendant of Adam, we are all legally represented by Adam. As he fell and as he sinned, we are in the legal ramifications of that. But then when we come to faith in Christ, we have now transferred our legal representative from Adam to Jesus. We are in Christ. We are in him rather than Adam. So now Jesus is our legal representative. He has the the authority. He is our covenant head. He is our representative. And, And so when Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, he did so if you're trusting in him as your legal representative. Therefore, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 3, do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Your union with Jesus means that you benefit from him paying the penalty for your sin. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when you feel guilty because you have done something wrong and you think, I really owe a debt on that one. I have an obligation to pay on that one. You do. But it was legally paid for you by Jesus. He is your representative. The debt has been paid. It has been canceled. And it has been done so because he, you are in Christ. If you're trusting in him, you are in him. And so you have all of the good things attributed to you, and all of your bad things are attributed to him. So it's kind of like when, when I married Robin. My debt became our debt. <laughs> Her resources became our resources. It was, that was a legal union where legal representation so your guilt is gone. But, but not only that, not only do we have this legal in Christ representation, but you are in Christ. We, we have this, I don't want to sound all new age. I don't want to sound, um, you know, too strange, but we have a mystical union with Christ. That is, it's mysterious. It's worked in us by the Holy Spirit. It's a deep fellowship with one who has a human spirit that we can know through his body, through his word, through the gifts he's given us, that we have a fellowship, an actual true fellowship with the risen Christ because of his spirit that dwells in us and that binds us together. We have spiritual union with him. And throughout the New Testament, there's different ways this this union is described. And many of these come in Ephesians. But... He is the head. We are the body. That's pretty close communion. That's union. Uh, We are a temple. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. That we are all built together as one building on the foundation of Jesus. As we sang about earlier. John said he is the vine. We are the branches. Uh, that, That we are intimately connected to him. And so all of the life 
life-giving, true life essence comes to us through Jesus. And we have this fellowship and this communion with him that is a reality that we grow in more and more as, as by faith we're united to him. We grow in this union with him and we have it in fact, but we also ought to have it subjectively experiencing that communion. That, it, that is something God has declared we ought to grasp hold of and have the feeling of having it, of that, that you know, it's there with reality, not because we feel it, but we can feel and experience and know that communion. And if it's, it's enjoying what Jesus has said of head and body, of temple and cornerstone, of vine and branches, or very simply what Jesus said when he said, I call you friends. Jesus wants you as a friend. And, and you experience that friendship and you experience that fellowship with him as well as have that true right to it through faith in what he's done. Do you, do you, do you have that? Have you experienced that? that I, you know, it might not be something you have like 24-7, but are there times that you've had it? And if not, can I suggest maybe, maybe you've never set apart time to have it. It's like any friendship is based on just time together and spending time. And so one of the things when we say pray and reading scripture, it's not just to get knowledge. It's not just to um, say I've checked this off my to-do list for the day and God gives me the gold star on the giant poster board in the sky. But it's, it's are you making a space to experience that communion with God? Are you just kind of rushing through devotions, giving the list of, I've prayed for all the people I need to pray for and let me get on with things? Or are you spending time meditating on what he's done for you? Meditating on what it must mean for God to be all-powerful, to be all-knowing, the, the mercies of God shown to us in the Christ, just the cross, just time spent to contemplate and to know and to experience that fellowship and that communion with him. It is through this union through his incarnation, through our covenant union with him as our legal representative, through our uh, spiritual union with him in that deep fellowship and friendship. It's through all these that we receive these blessings. Uh, I, just, I, I didn't finish going through Ephesians. I just started looking through the first couple of chapters. And did you see all of these things that we celebrate, all these blessings that Paul is ecstatic about are all in Christ. We are chosen in him. The grace with which he has blessed us is in the beloved. In him we have redemption, forgiveness. In him we have obtained inheritance. In him you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You were seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were far off have brought near in Jesus Christ. In him we are being built together. All of these things, all of the blessings that we receive, uh, they come to us as we are in him, as we're trusting in him, and as we have this fellowship with him, this union with him, is how we receive all of these blessings. So I want to bring out a few implications of this. The first is the uniqueness of who Jesus Christ is. I, I think most Christians wrestle with the question of, um, can, can, are we really saying that you have to be a Christian to be saved? kind of depends on how you define Christian, but 
If you're talking about having a relationship and trusting in faith in Jesus, yes. And it's not saying that we're doing things in a better way that he taught us to do and, and doing that is how we're saved or that we've got all the answers and we have all the knowledge and therefore we're better than other people. What we're saying is there's no one else like Jesus. And we're not saved by, by doing things or we're not saved by knowing the right answer on a theological test. We're saved by trusting in one who himself did not say, I'll show you God, but said, I am the way. I am God. He is God incarnate. And, and so he is unique. And so our salvation is, is, is based on trusting the one who truly can save us and having union with the one who is God united with humanity. Second, understanding of that union helps us understand our faith is not just believing certain things, not following the moral example. We do that. We, we are to believe certain things. We have to know who Jesus is if we're going to trust in him. We, we do obey him as he calls us as he, and teaches us who, to, how to do things. But our salvation is through faith, which creates this union and gives these benefits. So in other words, I think a lot of times we think, oh, being a Christian is kind of doing what Jesus did and, and being nice like Jesus was nice. And so, Do y'all remember the what would Jesus do um, um, bracelets? Well, you know, there, there's a place for that. There's a place for kind of thinking what would Jesus do and, and following Jesus. But, but the real question is not so much what would Jesus do and let me go do those things. The real question is, who am I in Jesus? If I'm in him and I, I'm looking at my whole identity and, and rather than just kind of following him and doing these things, it's more of I'm trusting in him. I'm related to him. I have this fellowship. I have this union. And, you know, any union forms us and shapes us. Any kind of relationship over time. Have you noticed how friends suddenly start talking like they're friends. Um, kind of an experience of, of kids going off to school and coming back and like, where did they learn that word? And you know, um, they suddenly talk like they're friends. Like, oh, I hope they didn't learn it from my son. So um, husbands and wives after years of marriage kind of take on characteristics. You, you start taking interest in things your friends do. Um, and it's the same way as we relate to him, as we connect to him. He conforms us. He shapes us so that Christ is formed in you. You become more like Jesus as you spend time getting to know him through the scriptures, as you have prayer and fellowship with others. As, it's not just getting an assignment, learning the facts. It's enjoying communion with one who is conforming you to be in his image, to be more like himself. Three. Um, if all of the benefits that we receive through Christ come through this union, we have to understand that all these benefits are united. They are connected. Christ is not divided. In other words, as we lift, list off the fruits of the Spirit, as we list off all these blessings that he's blessed us with, it's not as though we come to a spiritual buffet and pick the ones we want and leave the rest. If you are forgiven and justified, you are in the process of being sanctified. You are going to be glorified. He is bearing fruit in you. He is going to convict you of sin. He is going to bless you with assurance. 
All of these blessings come to us at the appropriate time in Jesus. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And so if we are forgiven, we ought to be growing in righteousness. We realize we are adopted into his family and we need to share that communion with others in his church. We realize that if he has done these things, he has done them creating us for good works, that we don't just accept the forgiveness, we accept the forgiveness and know that he has called us to mission and to work and to share that message and serve others. In other words, we we can't accept part of it without the other. And, And I say this because sometimes Christians will talk as though we can be forgiven without being led through the process of being made holy. In other words, they, they say, I'm going I'm to accept Jesus as my Savior, but it's a lot later when I accept Jesus as my Lord. And I, I hear Christians talk about that, but we can't accept a divided Christ. Christ is united, and if we are united to him, we take the whole of Christ, not just the parts we find attractive. An old Puritan, David Clarkson, wrote this, That choice of Christ is only real and sincere when the soul takes him, not only as a Savior, but as a Lord. Try then by this, are you as willing to be commanded by Christ as you are to be saved by him, to submit to his laws as partake of his benefits? Do you desire him as much to make you holy as to make you happy, as much for sanctification as for salvation, as much to free you from the power of sin as from the guilt of it, not only that it may not damn you, but it may not have dominion over you? If you do not choose Christ for this and in this matter, you choose him not at all. Tis plain, while you would have Christ for your Savior, something else is your God. To take Christ and have union with him is union with the whole of Christ. Fourth, we have communion with one another. Christ being united to us means that we are united with everyone else who is united to Jesus. And this is a great blessing. We are in a time of incredible identity politics rearing up again where we, we want to just pit people in groups and, and make every decision about who they are based on that group again. And we've, we're, people are told that if, if you're one of these, you have to fit into one box or the other. And so whether it's race, ethnicity, gender, class, sexuality, everything, we just divide, and that's who my politics, my worldview, my thoughts are. And it's all crap. Not a good pulpit word, I'm sorry. But here's the thing. The deepest thing is who we're united to. Are we in Adam or are we in Christ? Because regardless of color of skin, regardless of male or female, if I am an Adam, I'm sinful, I'm corrupt, I'm without hope, I'm under condemnation, and I, I'm, I'm guilty. But if I'm in Christ... I'm freed, I'm saved, I'm renewed. And regardless of anything else about me, that is the deepest reality is that we're one. And I'm connected to anyone else who is in Christ in a way that I'm not like anybody else who would look like me on every demographic aspect, but is not in Jesus. That I have have greater sense of connection with a sister in Malawi who is in Jesus than somebody else in Covington who votes like me, listens to the same music, and goes to the same places if they're not a believer. And that is a deep fellowship we need to have and need to enjoy. 
Finally, beyond that, we have communion with the Holy Trinity. We have been united to Jesus, but Jesus cannot be divided from the Father and the Holy Spirit. And one of the most amazing miracles that takes place in this is now you participate in some way with the eternal communion that the Father, Spirit, and the Son have had from all eternity.